creature of evil, running amok, blazing a trail of fear-crazed horror. From the jungle's most guarded secret comes this amazing story of a captive wild woman, torn between the mad cravings of animal blood and the longing for human love. A woman whose jungle instincts give her sinister power over man and beast. And suppose your experiment does succeed. What will you have? A human form with animal instincts. You know what the police do to you if they catch you? No, of course you don't. They put you on trial. Then they'll put you in the electric chair and kill you. The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And this is episode 148. Hey, mm-hmm. the numbering. He remembered. <laughs> he remembered. But <laughs> <laughs> this is Troy and I returning to the Universal Horrors of the 1940s once again. And tonight we enter a realm that not all are willing to follow. Not all emerge from sane. <laughs> well, this is true. One is tempted to call this kind of movie a Jungle Girl movie, but honestly, it doesn't quite fit. No, no. Although, am I right? It's sort of there is. It's sort of the first of a sort of Jungle Girl series, or loosely kind maybe of, a couple more in this is considered part of the series. I think. Yeah, but this one's. Uh, when we get to the next film, we'll talk about how the continuity doesn't really work because mm. characters who should know specific things in the sequel seem mm. to just not know specific <laughs> things in the sequel. Okay. But we'll get to that down the line when we get to what I think it what is it the Jungle Captive I think that's the next yeah. one in this particular series. But tonight we talk about 1943's Captive Wild Woman. Such a salacious title. I know, and it's a it's a title that apparently Universal was kicking around for a long time before it finally got slapped onto this film. This is an interesting movie, and I have to admit, better than it has any right to be. Uh, it's. Given how it is almost exactly one hour long, and fairly <laughs> a quarter of it is taken up with footage that was shot a decade earlier for a completely different film, right? It doesn't have any right to be as wackadoo entertaining <laughs> as it is. <laughs> At least that's my perspective. We'll get we'll get yeah. Troy's perspective later on. I'm not sure exactly what mm-hmm. it is. But if him stabbing a, a jungle, <laughs> a, jung, a, a jungle woman doll is any indication, then I mean, probably may not agree with me. I don't know. It's, it's kind no, of no. I, I'll say there's a lot to like. I will say that. Okay. Just okay. Okay. Uh, it's it's an odd film, Captive Wild Woman. It is. Uh, well, okay. It's a mad scientist story. Yes, it is. That is safe to. That, played, that's safe played to with say. Great aplomb. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. John Carradine gets to. Yeah. Man, he, he's he, great. He, in this, right? He's he's smooth. He's charming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He comes across as somebody who you trust mm-hmm. and believe, and he's crazy town. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's nuts. <laughs> but uh, be that as it be, be that as it may, uh, Carradine is a blast in this. But the cast, the entire cast, is actually worth checking out, worth paying attention to because, well. 
Let's talk about Milburn Stone for just a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Milburn Stone is the uh, he, he's he's the guy who really kind of should be the lead of the story. Mm. He kind of yeah. is kind of mm. the, the male hero lead, right? And yet. I don't think there's a single thing he does in this movie that has any effect on the outcome at all. It's like it's like it's like that thing you learn about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when you pay attention to the fact that nothing that Indiana Jones does in the movie affects a single freaking thing. I mean, like at yeah, all. Yeah. It's the same here. It, it, Milburn Stone's character, I mean, he, he could be just any doofus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because nothing he does, everything he is sort of swirling around He sort of just specializes in getting himself in trouble, and that's about it, or getting himself in life-threatening situations and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> pretending that he that he's Clyde Beatty, and he's yeah. like, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're just, you're absolutely not. Although, of course, the reason that he was cast mm. is because he looks like Clyde Beatty right. from behind. Yeah. Except that Clyde Beatty is definitely taller. Yeah. And you see a lot of Clyde Beatty in this. Yes, By the way, do. Clyde Beatty, in case, you, in case you were unaware, was a very famous uh, animal trainer and uh, perf- uh, circus performer who worked with big cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, his most famous act was uh, he would get uh, inside the, the big cage there as part of a circus act. He would get lions and tigers together and then also, God help us, bears. Lions and tigers mm-hmm. and bears <laughs> all in one spot. <clears throat> yeah. And there was a very famous incident where a lion named Nero did maul him and got, got hold of him pretty good. Mm. And it took him a few months to recover from that. And so when they start talking in this film, they actually mention Clyde Beatty as being the guy that uh, the circus uh, owner, Mr. Whipple, actually wants to get to do this cat act, this yeah. you know, this yeah. tigers and lions act uh, for his circus. And he's unable to get him in the story, and that's why... Uh, Milburn Stone's character is put in the position of being uh, the uh, Ertzat Clyde Beatty in this. And that's that's all great, except that they also throw in, just for giggles, I guess, <laughs> they throw in the, the, the one of the, they name one of the lions Nero. Yeah. So if back when you saw this, if you were aware of the fact that Clyde Beatty had been mauled by a, a, a famous lion named Nero, that would be just another little exploitation tidbit thrown yeah. into the yeah. film uh-huh. to kind of juice it up a little bit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that there's a real what. Well, what I mean by that is I don't know if there's a lion or tiger at all in this film that's not stock footage. Um, if I don't think any, so, yeah, because a few years prior to this, Universal made a film called Murders in the Zoo. Where they used a lot of real lions and tigers, and boy, did they pay a price for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it was a very ugly, ugly scene uh, uh, that happened uh, where uh, some of the animals got out of control. Well, I and think actually killed. that was a Paramount film. but still, Was that a Paramount film? Yeah, I believe that, it was. I, I think yeah. it's been included on, I think it's yeah, now it's, included on one of those Universal collection sets, but oh, probably yeah, was it, originally it been, a yeah. Paramount. Yeah, much set. like uh, Island of Lost Souls was, right. was, a, was a Paramount film that Universal right. bought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it, it yes, and a couple of the animals ended up getting killed, and it was yeah, it was it was it was not a not a not a good experience, and so I think it kind of feel like there's no real animal in this film, and you know, basically there's a gorilla suit, and then there's a lot of stock footage in this in this film for the most part. You know, I mean, you may be absolutely right. I don't know that if any of the actors in this film ever actually inter- interacted with a real animal at right, all. Right. Of course, we do have the the sight of the glorious. Uh, man in a gorilla suit. One yes. of my favorite aspects yes. of any film from this yeah. period of time is like yeah. man in a gorilla suit. Uh, can't go wrong. And there was two. There was kind of like essentially what two gorilla suits that were just made the rounds of all the two yeah. distinctive gorilla suits. And you can either look one or the other. And like oh, it's that gorilla suit. Is that when they kind of made the rounds of all the 
comedy shorts, all the horror movies, all, all yep. the thrillers. In fact, I will quote directly from the Universal Horrors book. It says, uh, once again, B-Western star stuntman Ray Crash Corrigan donned his custom-made gorilla costume for a Universal Horror film. Mm-hmm. The brawny six-foot-six-inch actor was born Ray Bernard in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on Valentine's Day in 1902. When Corrigan was 18, his family moved to Los Angeles where the teenager was put in charge of the gym at MGM Studios in Culver City. Through client Dolores Del Rio's husband, art department head Cedric Gibbons, Corrigan began his career as a motion picture stuntman. He allegedly doubled for Johnny Weissmuller in an early Tarzan movie. Corrigan's first big break came in 1936 when he got the lead role in the Republic sci-fi serial Undersea Kingdom. B-Western stardom soon followed when he was cast in two popular series, The Three Mesketeers and The Rangebusters. But to supplement his income, Corrigan had several gorilla costumes created and soon became one of Hollywood's most renowned ape impersonators. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yes, it is. Film historian extraordinaire Bob Burns met the aging actor when when Corrigan played the role of the vampire alien in 1958's It It, The Terror from Beyond Space. At that time, Corrigan had perfected his gorilla act in such low-budget programmers as Murder in the Private Car, The Ape, Nabonga, The White Gorilla, White Pongo, and Unknown Island. Burns told us, quote, I thought Corrigan's gorilla's dying scenes were great. When a Corrigan gorilla died, he always fell on his back and kicked one leg up in the air and then let that leg slowly fall as he died. In most everything he did gorilla-wise, he had a definite style, unquote. Well, tiring of the arduous role, Ray Corrigan sold two of his ape suits to movie extra Steve Calvert and devoted his time to maintaining Corriganville, a sprawling 1,611-acre piece of property in the San Fernando Valley, which he hired out to movie companies shooting outdoor location scenes. But Calvert uh, went on to play Corrigan-style apes in, like, Bride of the Gorilla and Mm. Bella Gossi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla and Bowery Boys meet the Monsters. But in this movie, we do get a full-on... Ray Corrigan gorilla suit acting performance. Uh, and the thing and is, he does die. He does get he does yes. get shot and killed. But yeah. we don't we don't get a death scene from him. We don't. And but he, I was going to say he is very. Uh, I, I, I commend him for being uh, comfortable with his sexuality because he's actually playing a female gorilla in this film. <laughs> this is this is true. By the name of Chila. Chila, who is by by virtue of mad science turned into Aquanetta. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful what we can do nowadays. <laughs> it's amazing what mid twentieth century mad science could accomplish. We go from gorilla to beautiful woman. Yes. How do we do this? Lap dissolves, baby. <laughs> Lap dissolves and Jack Pierce. I thought you were going to say glands. It's all about the glands. Well, it is all about the glands. Although one of my favorite little moments in this movie, and I, I guess we're going to just jump around a little bit here at first, but to be honest, the, the, I love the moment where we're uh, introduced to the doctor and we're in his waiting room along with uh, Evelyn Anchors and uh, her character's sister who's there to uh, hopefully be treated by this esteemed doctor mm-hmm. who's famous for his studies into glandular problems. Yeah. But one of, one of his uh, one of his big discoveries or research mm-hmm. uh, fields is in the realm of vitamin E2. <laughs> and I just kept thinking to myself, what the hell could that be? What is vitamin E2? Anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the it's not First of all, she should have known he was, he was a dangerous mad scientist because considering that the only reading materials in his waiting room 
are scientific journals involving articles about, about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like he's like, where's you know, where's something lighter? <laughs> Anything lighter at all? Learn about learn yeah. about what a genius this man is that you're about to pay God yeah. knows how much money. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, Aquanetta, what is your? This may be strange, mm-hmm. but let's 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 do a double punch here. Mm-hmm. When did you first see Captive Wild Woman? Um, I'd say probably first about maybe twenty years ago. Probably, okay. you know, and I've not seen it much since. I mean, I. I may have seen it one other time before I started watching for the show, so it had been out of my memory for quite a while. It had been it had been a while since I'd so seen like it. a what on VHS? Or? Yeah, exactly. Okay, That's yeah, I, I, I never saw I never saw it mm-hmm. on uh, anything other than uh, video home video. So I saw it on VHS when it got put out. Mm-hmm. I guess sometime in the nineties. That sounds about right. Like yeah, somewhere around in there. And of course, it being part of the whole Universal Horus thing, I was mm-hmm. I was more than thrilled to get my hands on it and watch it. Uh, but at the time, I don't think that I enjoyed it nearly as much as I do these days. Mm-hmm. I think I've mm-hmm. uh, not that I disliked it, but it you know it just it's such an odd film, and it has yeah. it, it it is very much well, it's very much a circus movie. Mm-hmm. That's what it that's mm-hmm. what it boils down to is primarily this is a circus movie mm-hmm. that's got some mad scientist stuff rammed all in there. Yeah, uh, it's like a, <laughs> it's like they grafted uh, a mad scientist <laughs> gland onto yeah. a circus movie <laughs> just to see what the hell would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And what you get is Captain Wild Woman. Yeah. Now, what is your history with Aquanetta? Um, I'm trying to... I don't know... Let's see. Because this was her first film, right? Yeah, well, yes. She she had I a mean, bit she, role in a couple of earlier yeah. things. But yeah, this is her first... You know, Where they kind of touted her as... Exactly. Aquanetta. Um, boy, I don't know right off if I've seen... Any of the others? Well, no, I just mean was was Captain Wild Woman your first exposure oh, to? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, maybe my only. You know, I mean, I mean, I, you know, obviously I'd see pictures of her in the various okay. horror magazines and various reference books and things. But as far as the only, this may be the only film that I've seen her in. Now, maybe others. I'd have to see the titles again to kind of know what else she was. Remember what she was all okay in to see what else I may have watched. But this Makes this sense. might have been the only one. See, I was curious because. Um, I know that it's only the Universal Jungle movies that I know her. You know, this yeah. and Jungle Captain. These are the only movies that I know her from mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So to me, she was this. Uh, I knew that she had a very short-lived career to a degree before yeah. I ever saw Captain Wild mm-hmm. Woman, and so it wasn't that much of a shock to me that she does not exactly light up the screen. She's a beautiful presence, but mm-hmm. she's not the the kind of she's she's not got the the the. Cinematic presence of someone like Evelyn Akers, for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for instance, who mm-hmm. really can seem to grab the camera and really is vital mm-hmm. on screen when you when when she's given a chance to. She's not mm-hmm. given much of a chance to in this film. But I've never been too surprised by the fact that Aquanetta's career was as limited as as well as it was. But of course, we'll talk about later mm-hmm. why that why that was, which mm-hmm. is right. more than a little bit of a shock. If anybody who really wants to delve heavily into this. Uh, I do recommend the uh, Tom Weaver commentary on the recent uh, Blu-ray, the Screen Factory Blu-ray. It's worth mm-hmm. worth listening to. A lot of interesting stuff in there, including a lot of bits from uh, someone from the Louisville Zoo who I who will fill you in on yeah. on uh, how things are done these days, how yeah. the how training cats is done very differently, and you're not not like mm-hmm. tearing into them with a damn whip anymore. Thank, <laughs> thank yeah. goodness. Yeah, but the. Uh, the Aquanetta thing, I mean, I understand because she's 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 something easy to ballyhoo. 
Mm-hmm. She really is. I mean, she's. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong, she looks gorgeous. She's yeah. a beautiful lady. But and I don't think she's bad in this. It's just they don't, don't think really give her any. I mean, she doesn't really have much to do. She has it's. It's not an easy thing to do. She basically. Well, has she hasn't. Play, she hasn't got any dialogue at all. She has no dialogue, so she has to convey everything with her eyes, which is not easy for a new actor of any sort to be yeah. able to do. You know, she she basically has to just sit there and, and make big eyes at a lot of stuff. You know, and and that's not easy to. She yeah. has she has a tough road uh, to hoe, yeah. And I right. I think she does as good a job as she was probably capable of doing. Yeah. But uh, with with in, let's put it this way, in lesser hands, she might have been terrible, but she's not. Yeah. She's just she's definitely not a detriment. She's just this weird, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this weird mute beautiful mm-hmm. creature at the center of this story. And there's parts where I don't think the story, the script, does her a lot of favors, and that's one of kind of my negatives I'll get into about the film later on. So we can get well, she's only later. in 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, that's the feeling is that little, un, I think maybe a little underused for, yeah. you know, so I think they could have done a little more with that. So, but we'll get, we'll get to that too. Everything was running fine. I was all excited about your coming home, and, and then this thing happened with Dorothy. Well, how serious is it? Some sort of a glandular trouble. Well, why didn't you write me about it? Oh, I didn't want to worry you. I left her at the Crestview Sanatorium about two weeks ago. We'd been to several doctors, and all of them recommended that I take her to this Dr. Walters. It really was an ordeal. Poor little Dorothy was as nervous as could be. My mind was set at ease about having brought her to the right place when I picked up one of the medical books and read of some of his achievements. Special feature, Glands and Their Secretions by Dr. Sigmund Walters. Dr. Sigmund Walters of Crestview Sanitarium has furthered not one, but three attempts at racial improvement. For he has discovered vitamin E2, which he believes determines the physical characteristics of all forms of animal life. The 48 chromosomes which pattern heredity and numerous hormones. Captive Wild Woman, 1943. I'll be using the uh, synopsis in the... uh, 40s Universal Monsters, a critical commentary book. This was written by Harry Long, which sounds like a joke, but uh, apparently a real name. <laughs> sounds like another Ray Corrigan character in his agency. But... <laughs> Harry Long. <laughs> After a two-year expedition to Africa, wild animal trainer Fred Mason returns to the Whipple Circus with a boatload of wild animals, including Chila, an unusually intelligent gorilla. Mason wants to stage a spectacular animal act involving lions and tigers, who are, of course, natural enemies because, you know, they're cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he wants to put them in the same ring. Now, Mr. Mason's fiance, Beth, brings her, her ill sister, Dorothy, to the Crestview Sanitarium in the hopes, of the, the hopes that the famous Dr. Walters, that would be John Carradine's character, Mm-hmm. can cure her of her glandular problems. Oh, let me say right quick here. Did you pick up on, I'm not sure I'm totally positive. I, I, I have a feeling that that gate in that sanatorium, that that's the exact same one that was used in Night Monster. Uh, yes, it is. The, yeah, it yeah is. I felt was. I was like, I bet this is the same property. In one of the Mummy movies as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Sorry. I think, as a matter of fact, I think it's one of the houses in the Mummy movies that burns down. Oh, that they would say with the little, like, fake burn down with the yeah, jets yeah, of flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Walters, John Carradine's character, agrees to take Dorothy on as a patient, but he has a hidden agenda that involves using Dorothy as a guinea pig in his illegal experiments. At Beth's invitation, uh, by the way, Beth is played by Evelyn Akers. Mm -hmm. At Beth's invitation, Walters visits the circus where he is impressed by Chila. Dr. Walters 
connives to steal Chila with the aid of a disgruntled circus worker who is then killed by the ape. Um, mm-hmm. In our first mm-hmm. and most, uh, I, I gotta say, it's it's my it's my favorite. It's the most impressive yeah. act of cold blooded murder uh-huh. in the film uh-huh. because there, although John Carradine's mad scientist character commits murder a few times in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is the only one where we get to see him really enjoying it. Yeah, the gleam, the lighting and the gleam in his, in his, in his eyes. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he just, he's like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll pay you. And I, and see, here's the thing. That circus performer, I knew there was a problem the first time I saw this movie because mm-hmm. the circus, the disgruntled circus performer who he talks into doing this for him, yeah. they never name a price you're right. <laughs> they just yeah. keep talking in like uh-huh. vague terms about the amount of money that he's going to get paid to do this. And I was like, dude, if there's not a firm yeah. dollar amount <laughs> being spouted, you may be, be you may be being fed to a wood chipper. So you might want to work. You might want to wake up and think about this. So of course the doctor just rams him into the cage, <laughs> where the gorilla grabs him around the neck yeah. and uh-huh. kills him. Because he knows the drunk has already had a real contentious relationship with this gorilla. So this yep. gorilla is just dying to, to wring his neck. And so, yeah. <laughs> but the way the camera just zooms in on, on Carradine and he, he gets that great gleam and just that you know, <laughs> satisfied grin there. Oh, yeah. It's like, ha, got the gorilla. Didn't have to pay a cent. <laughs> because let's be honest, he's a cheap bastard. It's oh, clear. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to pay. He didn't want to pay at all. Well, Walters transfers Dorothy's unusual glandular secretions into Chila, who slowly transforms into a young woman. That's right, folks. Yeah. He had Mm. a pretty young girl, Mm -hmm. and he decided that he needed two pretty Mm. young girls. Yeah. So he extracted glandular (laughs) secretions from one and put it into a Mm. gorilla to have the second girl. There's a level of bad science where you can, you know, if, mm. if you look at it through the right prism, you can understand what he's doing. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I, I understand. I mean, yeah. you know, you want to kind of up the number of beautiful women in the world. I can't see where you're coming from. But this may be the wrong way to go about it. <laughs> when Walter's nurse objects, the doctor kills her and uses part of her brain to further humanize Sheila. Walter's dubs his creation Paula Dupree. Now... It is that murder. It's when he when he offs uh, the Miss Strand, his his nurse Miss Strand, who's an actress we've seen. She was in uh, she was in three different Universal horror films. We've seen her before. Faye Helm. Faye Helm. She's she's quite good, Mm. but she she goes out as you know a a a piece of brain material just to be thrown into a gorilla (laughs) to kind of help out. (laughs) Poor thing. Well, Walters visits the circus with Paula to see how she will react to Mason, who is having serious problems with his lion-slash-tiger act. Now, the reason this is a big deal is Chila and Fred Mason, the uh, the animal trainer guy, mm-hmm. they have a really close relationship. They're buddies. They got mm-hmm. to they got to be really good buddies and, and found a way of nonverbal communication on the uh, long boat ride over from Africa. And so the doctor here really wants to see how Paula, who's really Chila, remember, remember yes, this, yes, folks. Yes, right. Mm-hmm reacts to being around Mason. But when he is nearly when Mason is nearly killed in the ring, Paula's power over the animals saves him. She's able to just by her presence kind of stare down these wild cats and to get them to back away from both her and 
Mr. Mason. Well, Mason decides to use her extraordinary abilities in the show, but as opening night approaches, Paula, jealous of Mason's love for Beth, that would be the Evelyn Anchors character, Mm -hmm. partly reverts back to her ape form and attempts to murder Beth in her boarding house. But Beth escapes harm, and Paula returns to the sanitarium. Of course, somebody else in the boarding house has to get killed. This poor, this <laughs> yeah. poor old lady who who, stag- who staggers in worried about somebody screaming pays the price. Mm. Now, what do you think about that? Le- the the uh, the makeup on uh, Aquanetta, the uh, kind of almost. Werewolf of Linden style makeup mm-hmm. that's on her. Mm-hmm. I I actually found it to be pretty damn interesting. I it was, I, yeah, I did too. I mean, I thought it was pretty well done makeup. And I, of course, they they pull the old trick with uh, black and white uh, photography, where you know you can put makeup on someone's skin and then change the color right. of light. Right. That's like a red gel or something they run over there that will bring highlight, then bring yeah, out yeah, yeah. the and then bring out that darker tone, and so it looks yeah. like it. I mean, because it then it then it looks like the transformation is happening right in front of your face. Because, mm-hmm. as far as the film is concerned, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, Evelyn Anchor's character gets a frantic phone call from Dorothy, her sister, and rushes to the sanitarium where she discovers exactly what Walters has been up to. Yes, John Carradine has been a mad scientist. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have been shocked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really shouldn't have been shocked. When Walters tells her that he intends to experiment further and use her brain as well... Mm-hmm. Beth releases Chila, now completely in her gorilla state, from her cage. The gorilla kills Walters and heads for the circus. <laughs> and I love that moment in the movie where, remember, just the night before, this poor creature had been so overcome with jealousy that she attempted to kill the Evelyn Anchors character. Yeah. And she has that moment mm-hmm. where she's killed the, the mad scientist. And takes a couple of steps into the room where her rival is standing, and kind of looks, and then it's clear there's like a thought process, and this is like either it's hard to know mm-hmm. if it's just like too much animal instinct has taken over or what the, the what might mm-hmm. be going through its head, but it decides now I'm going to the circus. Well, here's here's something interesting because I was never clear on you you know you're talking about using parts of brain. I mean, I I was wondering if he if we're supposed to believe that he. He transplants an entire brain from Miss Strand. Well, they're kind of—it's kind of unclear. And 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 one of the things, because my question is, is you know, then okay, well, if he does that, then shouldn't her, shouldn't the brain of the monster or monster? Listen to me. Shouldn't the brain of the gorilla more be responding <laughs> to, more be attached to him or responding to him than it would be to um, to uh, Fred or, or, or the uh, Fred Mason? I mean, because see what I mean? Is like. If it was a total brain transplant, yeah, yeah. but because he, he never says, I, it's one of the one of the many things that cracks me up about that I just find such enjoyment for with, with Carradine's character is there's twice in the film where he's, where he's he's you know he does it first with Miss Strand and then he does it with Beth where he's suddenly like oh you're intelligent I can use you you know <laughs> yes. like you see him over his face is like you're a really smart woman I you're know intelligent what I, want. I need your brain you know and and so yeah. so so yeah I was just I was never clear on because I was thinking if he transplanted with a brain it wouldn't have the brain of of, of of Miss Strand it seems like it would be more reacting to him than having a bond that, like the bond that Sheila has with Fred Mason but then I'm also thinking possibly that's what motivates more serves as motivation for Sheila to kill Walters because basically what he's done to the way he used yeah, he's put his, his, it's it's his nurse yeah, who's, who's, who's suffered the, under or yeah, yeah, yeah. been his, his at his side for all these years, and then he 
kills her, you kills know, her so. to use her brain. Yeah, it's just and a, see, that's just it. The movie is not clear. The dialogue isn't clear about mm-hmm. because the, the the impression from the dialogue is brain. Mm-hmm. So whole brain. Right. Yeah, right. But it just the the as you can tell from the synopsis, they're making the assumption that he's using just like part of the brain. Right. Yeah. Which is the only way the rest of it makes sense True. because that's the motivation for the gorilla character mm-hmm. for Chila to have any emotional attachment whatsoever to the Fred Mason character is mm. that if it is still partially mm. the gorilla's right. brain that's yeah. inside that skull. Yeah. But at the same time, mm. <laughs> it, it's it's desire to... to and and that, that would drive it to go back to the circus as opposed yeah. to necessarily killing its rival mm-hmm. because if it ha- is intelligent enough mm-hmm. to realize that, you know, that... The, the whole, that whole rivalry that's that's out the that's out the window now. It doesn't matter to just run back to the the person that it cares about. Okay, I get it. That's mm-hmm. kind of animal instinct. That's yeah. that's something that's comprehensible to a degree. But yeah, that's a that's a whole subject for debate. <laughs> yeah, which is how and not just in this movie. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> When we start talking about brain transplants, mm-hmm. whether whole or partial, or whether we're going to fudge the facts on just what we think we're doing here on you know brain mm-hmm. transplants from one body to another, yeah, that's a problem I've always had with the Frankenstein movies because mm-hmm. the idea that uh, that Igor is trying to sell to the Frankenstein mm-hmm. monster is like. No, they're going to put my brain into your body. We will be together. We will be friends. It's like, no, 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 no. If the monster's brain is extracted and tossed into a pail beside the, yeah. beside the, the surgical table, uh-huh. and then yours is put in there, that is an exit of the monster. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it is Igor. In a, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be just like lingering around, hovering like, yeah. like a ghost outside of this thing. This is just you now mm-hmm. in that body so this is a, this is the same problem it's like what are the motivations of a character or mm-hmm. well what are the what are the motivations of nurse strand yeah to go and do any of this stuff zero right the only thing in here that nurse strand would really want to do is str- mm-hmm. <laughs> strangle that bastard doctor who killed him <laughs> right but then again by that time Chila wants to do that yeah right yeah <laughs> Yeah. Dorothy wants to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Beth wants to do Everybody yeah. wants to do that. Yeah. So that is not a singular solitary desire. That's no. just, you know, that's that's a free-floating desire that's shared by a few mm. characters in the film at this point. But they always fudge the details on that. Mm. And one of the, I got to say, they do that a lot. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. brain transplant movies yeah. from the roughly silent era up to roughly the 70s, mm-hmm. where it becomes this thing where right, right about that time, it's just like, well, we need to nail this down because yeah. <laughs> if we're going to talk about this, I mean, are you putting the entire person into another body? And that's that to me is more interesting because yeah. then you're talking about the horrors of this. Mm-hmm. But there's more than a few of the Hammer Frankenstein movies where even the one where is suddenly the suddenly the 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 old Baron suddenly this suddenly is very interested in uh, souls yeah or transference of souls so, from one yeah. body it's like what are you talking about yeah. you lunatic mad scientist <laughs> and it's just yeah it's hard to picture Doctor Frankenstein thinking in terms of of that metaphysical you know of, in terms of soul to say the least but 
nevertheless, mm-hmm. if we just let the movie take us on its ride, mm-hmm. which is usually the best way to go with almost any of these movies, then you're going to be okay. Well, Chila runs back to the circus. By that time, uh, in keeping with uh, movie climax logic mm. yes. <laughs> par excellence, a storm has disrupted the opening night of the circus and is causing chaos. But Chila arrives just in time to save a to save Mason, who's been knocked unconscious from an accident inside the lion's cage as mm. all hell broke loose. Not understanding the situation, a policeman fires, fatally killing, uh, fatally killing, fatally killing, <laughs> killing, killed by, killed by death, killing, yeah. ch- killing Chila, uh, and hence the movie ends. Now we get this little kind of psycho style wrap up there at the end, where it's mm. like, okay, real quick, let's uh, let's uh, let's let's sum this up. <laughs> it's yeah. that end of meeting summing up for the for the audience members who were just like, what in the hell did I just watch? <laughs> And, and I think that, uh, that that that's a that's a good way to look at this, but it's it's a it's an it's an effective movie that I don't I don't really think takes a whole lot to I don't think it takes a lot to grok. Let's be blunt. No, but the major I mean it's it's an hour long. It's almost exactly an hour long, like an hour and almost a minute. Yeah, it's a crisp six sixty one minutes. Yes, I yeah. six, 60 and a half minutes. Sixty yeah. and a half minutes. <laughs> and we've not talked about all the time that is spent. Using stock footage from uh, The Big Game, I think that's the name of the 1932 film. Yeah. Where all of the Clyde Beatty animal training mm. footage is taken from. Because a big chunk of the first third of the movie is uh, fr- you know, fr- Fred Mason's character trying to convince mm. uh, Mr. Whipple uh, to, let him sque- <laughs> to let him squeeze the Sherman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a callback for people of a different era. Yes. It but basically it's like, I want to do this. No, you can't do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> he does that twice. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, all right, all right. Uh, I, I, I'm not against it because I actually really love the actor who plays the owner of the circus. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah he's, he's I think he's great. But the repetition of that, plus the scenes of animal, the animal training, that takes up like the first third of the movie for the most part mm-hmm. until we get, we get yeah. the mad scientist creating Aquanetta and then we got another, you know the next 20 minutes is like where they kind of intersperse those two threads together where we have the Aquanetta character who's now part of the circus mm-hmm. as the training continues and we're like gearing up for that opening night but the horrific elements of the story really do reside only in that thin thread of bad science now, don't get, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong it's a it's a it's a strong threat. He has about to say it is nothing thin about that. Only thin is his only thing thin is his grasp on sanity. You know that's the only thing. It's tenuous grasp on on reality. And, yeah. And and well, just morality, perhaps. Yeah, right. Don't get me wrong. It it, it moves at a quick pl- quick pace. It's it's well directed. Mm-hmm. It's it's fast. It remains interesting, but. Each time I go back to this movie, and I've now watched this movie probably five or six times, I kind of dread a little bit going back to it because my memory of it is, man, there's a lot of circus footage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm watching it, I have to admit that all of the circus footage, all of the training the cat footage with Clyde Beatty is pretty damned interesting. I agree. I mean, it's pretty thrilling to watch. It's pretty because, I mean, it's it's, when you see what those guys do and you see what he did and you're sitting there thinking like, God, this guy's nuts to get in this, you know, to get in this, you know, basically it's like, wow, because 
you know, I mean, those cats, are, I mean, they, they just want to get to him and rip him to shreds because yeah. he's, you know, pissing him off so bad, you know. Well, that, whole, just to, like, that whole stare down thing that he does oh, with the tiger. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, he's two feet away from that cat's face. Mm-hmm. And he's getting that cat to get down and lay on its side yeah. and then roll over. Yeah. It's, that's a that's a showing of dominance that is. is is just astonishing to watch. It's Agreed. I mean, it's tense and it's entertaining and it is exactly that kind of thing that made those kinds of animal acts in a circus a big draw. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you can mm-hmm. you can yeah. see it when yeah. somebody like Clyde Beatty and remember one of the reasons why Milburn Stone was cast is that from the back he looks yeah. like Clyde Beatty, so they they can double him pretty effectively. Yeah, but the. Uh, the stuff where you're watching Clyde Beatty actually work with those beasts, it's impressive yeah. every time. It is. And and I did always found that just fascinating to watch. It's only once I've watched the film and I think, because I think that there, the film could have used another five minutes for a, spe- a couple of specific, well, reasons I'll get to. But well, I think like, so I think like. Maybe we, you know, as much as that footage is powerful, I'm thinking you either should add another five minutes, or if you if you couldn't, then probably a little bit of this stock, a little of this training footage could have been trimmed. But I think that one of the first flaws in the story, to me, the first half of the film is stronger than kind of you know this the the last bit of it. The the to me, it, it, my problems with it are that I think it kind of where the way it finishes in the last act, I think, is weaker than the build up, the first you know three quarters of the film. Okay. Um, one of the things that I think it needed was a scene or two to cement the bond between the growing bond between Fred Mason and Aquanetta because I'll, he I'll talks her, about yeah. her he talks about her being a great help to him. Once she saves him the first time and he realizes the bond she has with the Tigers and he we get these these references to him working with her and what a help she's been to him. But I think that in order to just kind of and drive the home the point home a little more about her bond to what she feels for him. I think there just needed to be a couple of scenes of them actually working together, you know, just to just to show. It didn't it didn't have to be long ones, but maybe just maybe her show, intervening to help at something. Yeah, or just to show, yeah, her growing. Maybe you know what she mistakes is you know like he not saying that he begins to feel affection for her other than just appreciate her help, but she something to show more her feeling that's growing for him and also to. Maybe something else to emphasize the the kind of jealousy she's feeling for Beth. You know, I think it just needed a little bit of that development there and all to make the ending seem, you know, to make that a little bit more meaningful, you know, like what, what because I feel like... Well, for, for his character, for the Fred Mason character, I think he thought of their relationship as mentor and mentee. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Whereas she thought of it as much more. Yeah. And therefore... The, but, but but the film doesn't have time and doesn't doesn't take the time right right to show that that's how you know the, 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 how how they view this relationship is very different so yeah I see what you're saying yeah I think it did would have helped the story I think just a little bit to develop that and then so so I, I would have you know I could have done with a little trimming of the stock footage if that was the only way to have gotten something like that in you know just to just something to build that a little more that relationship between the two of them. It would, I mean, it, most it could have stretched the film to like sixty-four minutes. Exactly, just something, yeah, like that. So, I can agree with that. What, uh, what other, what other problems or flaws? Yeah, did towards you see? the problem with the whole ending there, the whole climax is, um, you know, first of all, Aquanetta. They've trumped this as like you know introducing Aquanetta. You know, this is their big find here, and the way she disappears then after you know she kind of goes through one transformation. Once she turns back to Gorilla, I think a little too. 
Yeah, then it's yeah, she's soon, over. Yeah. And I think yes, this would have been a ridiculous idea, but we're talking about Captive Wild Woman. Maybe at the end, <laughs> after she's killed, maybe she could have turned back into Aquanetta or something. You, they never know. They never realize. There's never any kind of emotional payoff. Nobody ever realizes. Well, see, that's just it. Yeah, you're right. Fred Mason has no evidence right, of this. Right. But I mean, obviously, the Beth character yeah, has been told. Know. Right. Has been told by the crazed mad scientist mm. what he's done. Yeah. Although she hasn't seen it. Right. She's told. Yeah. And of course, that's one of the weirdnesses we'll get into when we get to the <laughs> sequel, which is she was told all this stuff by the mad scientist, yeah. and in the sequel, she's she's apparently not imparted this information to Mr. Mason, who's just like, I don't know how they ever get about. Right. So so if, if she could have uh, at least said something to him at the last there to make him realize what had happened or who this what yeah. the gorilla was, you know, and I just think the whole death of the gorilla was kind of why you know like he's kind of killed by you know the random cop just you know yeah I agree. I, I, what was now one thing we would have been great and there's no way they could have filmed it they would have made it look totally ridiculous but honestly what should have happened was the gorilla should have fought Nero Nero should have been trying to get to Fred Mason and the gorilla should have have fought and died but there's line. no, but way, there is no way you could have filmed that it would have looked totally terrible you know at that yeah. particular time so I think I, you know, like I said, I mean, to me, it just kind of just just kind of meanders. The ending to me just kind of meanders out. I think that could have been more dramatic, and it's just uh, I just think it kind of kind of goes limp there at the the end a little bit. And you know, I not too much to make. I still like the film overall. I enjoy a lot of the film, but yeah, just 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 felt that it was the build up was so much fun. I'm just sitting through most of this film, just shaking my head at the crazy ideas and the, <laughs> and the awesome rich dialogue we'll get into for a minute. I want to go at length about talking about John Carradine's character and his performance here in a minute, but. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's a fun hour to spend. There's no question, you know. Just I think some things could have been a little a little better. But... It's dead. I have come to the conclusion, Miss Strand, the type of species with which we've been experimenting is not satisfactory. Size, strength, the will to live, essential. What we're trying to accomplish here. Lacking in these animals. We have at hand the very elements that could make possible the things we're trying to do. I don't understand. It's been proved beyond doubt that glands can transform physical matter into any size, shape, or appearance. Yes, that's true. We have here in this sanitarium a rare case of follicular cyst, which induces the secretion of unusual amounts of the sex hormones. Miss Coleman? Yes. If we've been able to create through the medium of glandular extraction such specimens as we have, what's to prevent us transfusing these glandular extractions from a human being into a higher type of animal? The authorities, they wouldn't permit it. I see you're not truly a scientist at heart, Miss Strand. The things we're trying to do, one must be daring. I'll be out this afternoon. Yes, Doctor. Photograph that. You were talking earlier about John Carradine's dialogue in this film. I mean, mm-hmm. he has some choice mad scientist oh, dialogue. But I mean, what? It, well, well, just to talk first about his performance, I think it's fantastic, and it's it's great to see Carradine in this great of form because yeah. so often once we get in the decades past this, when we start to see the decline, not only in the the types of roles he was given, but in his physical state too. And here he's just, he's, he's dashing and dapper and affable and charming, you know, and he's great at playing. I love the scenes where he's just hanging out with, with Fred Mason and his, and his, his boss, like kind of, he's really 
He's he's not at all weird or creepy around him. I mean, he just seems like a, a cool guy. You can say, well, hey, I like him. He's laughing at everything, and he's just been real easygoing until we see until we do the switch turn, you know, and see the real <laughs> thing. But uh, sure. one, of the, one of the great pleasures for me, a game I always like to play with films of mad scientists, is the question of, you know, are they mad or are they just Machiavellian? Because it's not always the same thing, you know. This is true. This and is very true, yes. if they are mad, at what point in the film do they go mad where you're just like, that's it, that's the moment that they've snapped, you know. Or were they mad all along? Well, see, that's just it. I think yeah. the beauty of this one is he's mad all along. Yes, but... but- we, you know, he he's not he doesn't present as insane. No, at all. In fact, I was mostly through most of the film. I'm I'm I was more convinced that he was Machiavellian. You know, yeah. like you know, and uh, he, um, you know, earlier on when he's, they're talking even about he's talking about his he talking to his nurse about all the things he's achieved so far. He does drop the term uh, uh, racial improvement. Now that's a red flag. You know, yes, when it that is. goes up, that's like yeah, okay. You know, maybe a little it was maybe a little dicey area here. Yeah. But, but the way he's some of the, but even when he comes to like killing the the guy who helps him steal the gorilla, I mean, it's 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 you know you kind of see that gleam in his eye, like maybe there's a little bit of madness here, but still kind of got the feeling. I was thinking like I think he's just an in suits the means kind of you know just whatever in the name of science. But some of my a couple of my favorite lines, uh, um, you know, when he has his debates with Miss Strand, where she's questioning what he's doing, and of course I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, okay, you say you worked with this guy 13 years, and you're only kind of just <laughs> now starting to balk it, you know. But uh, well, that's just it. What she says yeah. is like, I helped you with, you know, mm-hmm. I, she she rattles off a couple of things, mm-hmm. and she's helped him with over over the years, and she's overlooked, and I'm just yeah. thinking to myself, the things you just mentioned. Those are crimes. Yes, exactly. The things you just talked about yeah. are crimes. Exactly. And, I, I, you know, like one point he says, I say, you're not a, truly a scientist at heart. You know? and, I know. It I is. Mean, is you're, not, you're not truly a scientist at heart because you're not an amoral <laughs> ass willing to murder. What, I mean, what in hell? And here's a great line where, where uh, they're talking about, uh, where he's talking about what he's going to do to Dorothy. And, and, uh, and, and she's questioning that. And he says, why should a single life be so important? <laughs> and oh, I'm sitting there thinking, like, did you take an oath at some point, Doc? There, I think maybe I, that I think you, he may have been out that day. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he sort of fudge. Maybe yeah. Maybe he missed the day when the Hippocratic well, oath. Was, he, he did the Hippocratic oath, but he had his fingers, fingers crossed, crossed on his back. His back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the, the moment to me where I, I cop, I think I cop to what he, what, you know, that whole question, matter Machiavellian, is when she's reciting back to him his past, past crimes. And by the way. You know, you know, I'm always, I always one of it's, it's one of my pet peeves. The thing is, when you find out who the murderer is, you don't go to the murderer alone and tell him you know it. Same with mad Correct. scientists. When you're, you don't yeah. tell the mad scientist you're going to rat him out or or, or or abandon him when you're alone with the mad scientist. But no. But the part where she's, you know, talking about all his past achievements and she mentioned something about all oh, your plans to create a race of supermen. And I'm like, he was mad all along. Yes, that's our was. clue. Because when they start talking race of supermen, that's the giveaway, folks. <laughs> that, that's the, it's 1943. <laughs> yes, yes. We've we've had a tin pot asshole in, uh, in Germany spouting yeah. bullshit like this. It's yes. like, ah, ah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, yes, you're right because mm. the whole the whole eugenics thing had been a big thing from the night through the 1920s, mm. and of course that just <clears throat> moves into you know having mm. a lunatic take take control of an entire country who mm. has some kind of harebrained scheme in, in his mind that revolves around mm-hmm. eugenics and the superiority of one race race over another, and so that is a perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like pin in the in the in the timeline for yeah. when this movie takes place. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it's really about the only about the only thing in the movie, except for yeah. the 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 one joking crack about the the cat's not really really not gonna uh, 
enjoy being introduced to the idea of meatless Tuesdays. Oh, yeah, right, you exactly, know, because the, that was the that, rationing, that, yeah. Yeah, that's a rationing thing in the States where, you know, it's like you, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the government asked people to, like, you know, have one day a week where there yeah. wasn't, yeah. where you didn't eat meat because it helped extend the, you know, those those supplies uh, further each week and each month. Mm-hmm. But the that, that one crack is about the only thing that really kind yeah. of pegs this as taking place during World War II and at the same time, well, even if it doesn't, even if it's not supposed to take place in, in during World War II, because then why why hasn't Fred Mason been inducted into the army and is mm-hmm. out, yeah. out fighting the dirty hunt? <laughs> but at the same time, uh, that's about the only thing that really pegs it to the forties, except for the motivations of our mad scientists. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know that that kind of dredges through that whole you know Hitler dictator yeah. thing that whole white you know white white superiority and all this that and the other um, which you know timely as it may have been then <laughs> now it is one it's one of those things where you when, when you look you look back at it and looking for the for the little clues about when when was he bad? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was he was nuts all along. <laughs> He's been working for years on this project, and that project is Superman, the race of Superman. <laughs> a race of atomic Superman. Well, that's, that's another movie entirely. It's and not I atomic Superman. I guess the thing with Aquanet is he was trying to make a race of super women to go with him. I guess to go with to well, accompany his men. Yeah, you got to breed. You gotta, yeah, exactly. Well, the, but here's here. Here's the question. I'm glad you, I, you, you've given me the opportunity to come at this kind of in an oblique fashion. I'm very oh. happy about that. It goes like this. So at what point is the superior species derived from a transformed gorilla? Yeah. <laughs> I got to know. Yeah, yeah right. Now see, what I want is I want him to write a white paper explaining yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his logic on, about why mm-hmm. we need transformed gorillas to breed with, because that's clearly <laughs> where he's going exactly, with this. Exactly. Yeah. Why does he take his newly christened Paula yeah. to see Fred Mason? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he's wants a reaction. See, he's mm-hmm. wanting to see if something mm-hmm. happens there. Yeah. And it's it's the 1940s, so we can't come right out and say, "Look, I want you two to yeah. hop in bed." And, and, you, and you may have you may have hit upon the reason why we don't get more of Aquanetta and Fred Mason is they may have felt yeah. like, I mean, not that they were ever planning on them, you know, I mean, they, even if they were not planning on Fred Mason to think of her as a lover, she, it, the fact that she obviously is having an attraction to him, maybe they just were afraid of like, Hey, let's not, let's not ready to get the sensors <laughs> on, you know, let's just stop, not, not go down that road too far, you know, as far yeah. as we're talking about that, maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think they may have, they may have felt they might've been pushing things a little too far with the amount of leg that Aquanetta shows in her, in <laughs> right. her outfit, during, right. you know, her performance outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, although once again, I couldn't help but notice that her outfit, although it, it is a bare midriff outfit, yeah. once again, they have to go by that, that I dream of genie yeah, cannot, law uh, yeah. where you can't see the belly button. Women do not have belly buttons. Yeah, that's, it's, it's not allowed. <laughs> it's not allowed. As a matter of fact, as far as I can tell, there may not be there may not be a movie in the '40s that acknowledged that a belly button was something that any any human being ever had. <laughs> These things are delivered by storks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is how this goes. You will never have an opportunity like this again. I tell you, that girl's power over animals is uncanny. Well, you saw yourself what she could do yesterday. Yeah, I saw it. I also saw you lying in that cage. It was only by the hand of fate that girl happened along. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. With her there, the axe is cinched to handle. Oh, a cage full of animals with a girl mixed up in it. It doesn't make sense, Fred. I don't intend to have her mixed up in it. All I need her for is to stand on the outside in case of trouble. No, I can't see it. I don't think you can do it, Fred. 
Well, if you stop now, it won't solve anything and certainly won't get you any place. Well, I'd rather not own a circus if the success of it depends on the lives of the performers. Oh, well, now you're talking as if those animals were out of hand and that isn't what happened at all. It was just simply bad luck that I was in the way when that pedestal came down. I tell you, you're no circus man unless you let me have a talk with that girl. Well, I tell you, I won't do it. All right. Look, John, you know yourself there's nobody in this business I'd rather work for than you, but my mind is made up. I'm going after that girl, and she and I are going to work lions and tigers together. Now, if you're not going to give us a chance to do it, I'm going to find somebody who will. Now, will you wait a minute, please? I'm only thinking of you. You make me feel as if I'm signing your death warrant. But if you insist on it, go ahead and do it. Well, thanks, John. Oh. You know, I got a hunch that with the help of that girl, you and I are going to make circus history. Well, I hope it's not over your dead body, you stubborn good luck. <laughs> Well, to give this film uh, credit for something that I'm a little surprised we have to give it credit for, uh, the ladies definitely take center stage in this film. Yeah. Uh, Fred Mason's heroics are yeah, kind of like pointless. Yeah, pretty ineffectual, like you mentioned. I mean, he, he cages a tiger mm. that, that accidentally gets loose right at the beginning of the film, mm. which is, of course, just an, an excuse to use more more footage from the big cage because mm-hmm. that, that completely apes, no joke intended, <laughs> uh, a scene from that movie as well. Mm. So you have him, you know, all, all of his bravery revolves around dealing with those big cats. Yeah. Whereas it's the women who are the first. Let's put it this way: Aquanetta saves him from the from the the cats, right? Mm-hmm. And then Chila comes to his rescue at the end of the film uh, to, to kind of throw him over his throw him over his her shoulder, mm, yeah. like a freaking sack. <laughs> um, and, and I have to admit, I agree with Tom Weaver. There was a missed opportunity to have the the gorilla holding Fred Mason the same way that we always have the the the, the poster art oh, yeah, the, pictured, where there's a, you know like a, a man holding a you know holding a woman, yeah, like the the, the famous Superman <laughs> holding Supergirl pose from Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh. and things like that. It's kind of a standard thing. It's like well, they they missed the opportunity to have a gorilla holding oh, yeah, an man. unconscious guy be this image that you know they could. They could, gender, they could kind of wear gender and yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, gorilla flip. <laughs> but it's uh, they don't do that. It's also, it's Evelyn Anchors, who, although she's overdressed throughout the movie, yeah. she's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. In her, her, her very wonderful outfits. Uh, it's Evelyn Anchors who saves her sister. Yeah. Who manages to confront Walters and manages to get him killed by releasing Chila? That's a very good point. I had not actually, I had not considered that, but that's very true. The women get all the dynamic action in this, yeah, so that's very good. Good. Yeah. Point. The only thing Fred Mason does is deal with the cats. Yeah. That's literally it. Hmm. <laughs> the rest, yeah. of, the rest of the uh, the the action, the uh, putting putting down of the mad scientist, is all done by women. Yeah. Very good. Which point. is very strange. Real quickly, I'd like to jump back to um, Mr. Whipple, the the owner of the circus. Right, right. He's played by Lloyd Corrigan, who we uh, we saw before in um, Mystery of the Mary, uh, uh, Mystery of uh, Marie Roget. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played a kind of secondary character there, kind of the same kind of character. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I would I would think in that movie he was actually a bit a, a bit more competent a character. But I, I love him. He he, he plays a certain type and he plays it very well. Yeah. And he's always entertaining. He he has that uh, that ability to look worried and flustered and mm-hmm. nervous all at the same time. 
but in a way that doesn't come off as some kind of simpering lunatic. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just I like the way he does that. He's uh, he's he's very good. He's very good in this at exactly what he's specifically asked to do, mm-hmm. which is I guess kind of what he was almost always asked to do in movies like this. Also, the uh, the uh, drunken ta- the drunken trainer character played by mm-hmm. Paul Fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's a, he's a guy who turned up in uh, Dr. Cyclops. He gets killed by Dr. Cyclops in that film from 1940, uh, which is, by the way, a film that I do recommend if you've, if you've never seen it. And uh, he, was, uh, he was killed by uh, Bela Lugosi in mm. uh, Black Friday. Mm. So another actor we've seen in more than a few things. But uh, a few years later, Mr. Fix uh, was the marshal in TV's, uh, the TV series uh, The Rifleman. Oh, okay, cool. Where I guess basically all he had to do was kind of let... The main character of that show go go gun people down and then <laughs> yeah. you know mop up after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you recognize the name of the director before you? No, I, about I did not. Once, but we do need. I'm glad you mentioned we do need to talk about him and his some of his. I did not recognize his name, but uh, his he's got some impressive stuff on his credits and yes. his life story is uh, very interesting too. Um, so, oh yeah. yes, yes. Um, well, um, go ahead. Yeah, uh, director Edward Dmitrik, I think. Dmitrik, yeah. uh, Ukrainian, topically enough at the time we're recording this. Yep. Um, he uh, one of those amazing stories that you hear that don't happen in Hollywood really now, but used to where he basically started as a studio messenger, worked his way up from a studio messenger all the way to director, which is pretty amazing. Yep. Um, he, uh, some of the impressive credits, uh, you know, things people recognize, The Devil Commands, he directed. He directed The Cane Mutiny. He directed Back to Bataan. And he also directed The Young Lions. Uh, which is a great film. Yeah. And he, uh, now... Well, he directed one of my favorite, uh, my favorite movies, Murder My Sweet. Okay, yeah. From, right. from 44. That, yeah. Love that movie. He uh, now part of his story is it was one that sadly uh, part of old Hollywood is he was blacklisted. He was one of yeah. the Hollywood Ten, and he refused at first to testify, which meant of course he couldn't get any work until uh, he was finally forced to then just to have work uh, to start naming names, which then of course made him a pariah among yeah. his fellow Hollywood you know actors and directors. And so it was just again an impossible, well, the impossible situation that a lot of people got put in, and proving once again. That Joe McCarthy was one of the most awful human beings to ever walk the earth. Very true. But Dimitri was an, an amazing director, a very talented man. And this was one of the last B-movies he made before a uh, movie that he made uh, just before this became a massive hit when it got mm-hmm. released. And he was on the uh, he was on the A-train until he got mm-hmm. uh, derailed by the, mm-hmm. the House on american Activities Committee. And right. that is a real shame because, man, he made... I mean, my God, the man made Crossfire. Yeah, <laughs> it was a hell yeah. of a movie. He was just—he was a very talented man. I mean, yeah, of course, the Kane Mutiny. Yeah. Most people will recognize that as you know, Oscar-winning, mm-hmm. you know, Humphrey Bogart film, brilliant movie. But he did a lot of excellent work. I will even—I will stand up and cheer for the Devil Commands, the Boris Karloff film. Oh yeah, I love that movie. I've always enjoyed that. But good movie, and it is to his credit. Uh, but it is nice that uh, in interviews after you know years later, he did give full credit to his cinematographer, who was a very talented man. Yeah. Because the look of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you have to keep in mind that uh, the director and the cinematographer really were only shooting portions of this film. Mm-hmm. They were matching the footage from that earlier movie yeah. Yeah. with all the animal footage, but. That means that all the scenes with David Carradine, all the mad scientist scenes, yeah. were shot by them, and the 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 cinematography of those scenes is 
brilliant. It is. And fantastic. this Blu-ray yeah. really brings yeah. out the gorgeous mm-hmm. cinematography in this. The, the shade, the shaded lighting, the uh, the way everything is beautifully in, in focus and visible, mm-hmm. but shadows and light play constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, one would think that a room where you're doing surgery would be a bit more well lit than the <laughs> yeah. one in which he's doing it. But then again, he's a mad scientist, so who cares? Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It looks great, so let it roll, you know? In general, from what I'm from what I've read, this was uh, this was the second feature of uh, or the first feature. I don't know which which was on top or bottom of Frankenstein makes the Wolfman. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's true everywhere or in every instance, mm, but yeah. yeah, that's what that's definitely what I've heard. Now, but uh, <laughs> before we wrap up our mm-hmm. our and give our full impressions of this film, our our. Uh, Mm-hmm. Our striking reviews of the film. I thought you might like to hear from our old friend oh, I was Bosley hoping. Crowther. Uh, good. I was hoping we'd get some Bosley. Yes, Bosley's yes, indeed. Yeah. I will read to you Mr. Crowther's uh, <laughs> opinion of this film in the New York Times, June thirteenth, nineteen forty-three. When you think about the awesome freak pictures which were made in former years, from the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari to the first Dracula and King Kong. There is every good reason to grumble at the watered-down stuff of today. <laughs> and there is also reason to mutter against the clinical unpleasantness of some. One doesn't expect exact science in a cockeyed black magic film, <laughs> nor does one demand medical ethics from the wild-eyed practitioners of same. But at least the maniacal doctors might be prevented from talking about folli- <laughs> follicular cysts, which <laughs> induce unusual amounts of secretions of the sex hormone. Uh, yes, I, we didn't even get to the secretions of the sex hormone line there. <laughs> Which is what Mad Dr. John Carradine does in the dilly mentioned above. Of course, he's talking yeah, about Yeah, because he's basically Marvel. saying that Dorothy oozes sex. Is that what he's saying in that scene? It's like, kind it's just, of, yeah. <laughs> but he's taking a real walk around the park to make sure that it gets by the sensors. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> Bosley was, mm-hmm. was not impressed. Bosley's not a fan. But Bosley's rarely a fan. Yes, it's always good to know. Mm-hmm. More contemporaneous re- re- reviews. Uh-huh. The Hollywood Reporter, nineteen forty-three. The production by Ben Pivar is an all-around good job, and its direction by Edward Dimitrik packs more conviction than is average in such subjects. Mm-hmm. John Carradine gives an exceptionally smooth performance. Yes, I would agree. From Variety, April twenty-eighth, nineteen forty-three. While much of the plot is strictly off the cob. <laughs> off the cob now there is a there's a great phrase the film has enough excitement and strange elements to appease the thrill patrons mm-hmm. that's, that's <laughs> thrill true. patrons I, I consider myself a thrill patron I was going to say that would be that would be a good name for a podcast thrill patrons <laughs> thrill patrons <laughs> in color in color <laughs> <laughs> oh man Okay, the New York Daily News, July 6, 1943. Um, Written by Wanda Hale, apparently. She gives it two and a half stars. A thing of horror, unless you like pictures of this type, we won't recommend Captain Wild Woman. If you do, you'll get your money's worth in thrills. Mm -hmm. And one more, Harrison's Reports from May 1st, 1943. This is another one of those implausible horror melodramas suitable as a supporting feature in situations where this type of entertainment is acceptable. <laughs> a good deal of footage is given to stock shots. It has been skillfully blended in with the action. Aquanetta, a new screen personality, is effective as the ape woman. The action provides plenty of thrills and suspense. Hmm. And I would okay. have to say yeah. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree with that assessment. Mm-hmm. Now, 
We didn't touch on the the strangeness that revolves around Aquanetta and the reason why her career was probably as short as it was. Right. Because the way they ballyhooed her at the time mm-hmm. was as the the uh, Venezuelan volcano, yeah. claiming that she was from Venezuela. And a, a good bit of this is simply because she was spinning such yarns herself. Mm-hmm. And once again, I want to recommend the commentary track that Tom Weaver uh, has on the, uh, the the Blu-ray because he takes you through the various steps of uh, getting to meet her and getting to interview her and talk to her and to... Uh, Realize that she's still spinning a level of BS about her background and her actual mm-hmm. uh, her actual ethnicity, because for years and years after that, she claimed that actually she uh, was uh, descended from uh, the Arapaho Indians mm-hmm. and things of this nature. That her father was this and her mother was that, and it turns out that what seems to be the truth, mm-hmm. uh, which as far as we can tell, she never really publicly admitted to ever. Mm-hmm. Was that in actuality she was black, mm. or at least she was partially black, mm. and that is the reason for her uh, her distinctive, uh, you know, uh, slightly darker skin mm. and her beautiful features. Mm. She was mm-hmm. black, and that mm. apparently, in the racial BS that would go along with right. discovering that your your much touted new exploitation star is actually a black woman, and then we're putting this person in the position to be a romantic lead mm. with, against white. Men yeah. becomes a big problem in Hollywood, and that yeah. may go a long way toward explaining why her career kind of dried up and blew away. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I mean, sad, sad bit of sense, sad sort of sense, but it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we've just kind of mm-hmm. given the game away to the extent that you can with this, but I do once again recommend listening to Tom Weaver's commentary track because he takes it through you with a large number of really great quotes directly from the lady talking about her career later in life, and you mm-hmm. begin to realize. That a certain level of uh, myth making and uh, mystery spinning was just the way in which she lived her life all the way to the end, mm-hmm. and so what? And what does it really matter? I'm right, sure. It, it it doesn't really matter to a degree. Of course, as the as the director Edward, Edward Dimitri would say years later himself, talking about that particular fact, and of course, even when he was talking about it decades ago. If it was now, nobody would care. Right, yeah, sure. And of course, if it was now, nobody would care. Right, absolutely. But at the time, people did. Yeah. In the 1940s, that was a problem. And that is a shameful thing to be able to say, but... It is. That is what history is. Yep. A shame, but there you go. I've always stood on the fact that probably one of the problems was that she may have been fairly limited as an actress. Mm -hmm. But... A studio was probably not going to be willing to spend the kind of time and money mm-hmm. to get her to a level that they would want her to, to be at to be the kind of exploitation movie star that they wanted to be if they were afraid that they were going to run into uh, some salacious uh, newspaper yeah. popping out that bit of, uh, bit of information about her actual family background and then destroying all their hard work. Right. So, a shame, but yeah. there you go. Yeah. Well... Troy. Yes. Out of curiosity, what do you feel this movie rates mm. on the one to ten scale? And uh, yeah. back up your assertion, please. <laughs> I gave it a six, um, and I probably would have made it a five if not for John Carradine. I just felt like uh, what they do with this character is so much fun. He plays it so well that I feel like it elevates it above just kind of what to me would have been an entertaining but but fairly mediocre 
you know, fairly average, yeah. you know, uh, a film of this type. Uh, you know, John Carradine and then, yeah, some of the crazy directions the plot takes because of his characters, his ambitions there, you know, and his derangements, you know, I found it very entertaining. It's, so it's a film that, it's a film that I think I could, you know, whether I will or for how, or how long it will be, who knows, but it's a film that I could see watching again and, and, and getting enjoyment out of, getting a kick out of. So yeah, yeah, I fell on a six there for it. That's exactly where I fall. And mm-hmm. uh, I feel that, like I've said before, Every time I come back to this, I can, I'm kind of thinking, "Oh man, mm-hmm. am I re- am I really going to enjoy rewatching this?" Mm-hmm. And then 15 minutes into it, I realize, "Oh, I really am enjoying mm-hmm. this." Mm-hmm. And I do, I like the circus bits. Yeah. And part of the reason I like the circus bits is that I'm really kind of impressed by how, by how they're merging what I know is older footage with the yeah, newer footage. Yeah, I think they did a good job of blending the footage as best they could. Yeah, I, mean, I really do. I mean, yeah. And then another part of it is, like you say, John Carradine being mm-hmm. that, that smooth operator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that scumbag, what, what is able to hide his madness very yeah. effectively yeah. until you're down in the surgery room and explaining his, his eugenics movement <laughs> and his desire to create a, a race of, of supermen. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. I find yeah. all of the, the pieces and parts to be entertaining, mm-hmm. whether they fit together as well as they should. Eh, you know that's mm-hmm. that's going to be yeah. for each individual viewer to decide. But yeah, I, I land on a six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even think about a five for it because mm-hmm. when the movie's over, I have been thoroughly mm-hmm. entertained. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The ending is a bit of a, a damp sponge mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. the 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 death of the gorilla probably needed to be a little bit more dynamic. Yeah. And I you know I've already put forth what I wish they'd done, which is the whole you know. <laughs> The gorilla carrying the man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the the standard, you know, heroic man carrying the carrying the uh, the passed out woman from so many pieces of artwork. Oh, over while the, years. the clueless cops are just pouring bullets into it, you know? <laughs> yeah, just slamming him with bullets, <laughs> one after the other. Plus, I think that cop only shot once. It's like it only yeah, takes one bullet to take that gorilla. Down. Again, this is what I'm getting at. It's like, come on, you couldn't give us a little more oomph for there, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. At least get the leg, like what Bob Burns talked about. At least get the leg kicked up in the air. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't slow. get this time. Right? Yeah. We don't get that this time around. And what well, part of me thinks that they may that it may have been shot, mm. and the director would be going, "Yeah, we're not, we're not having that. <laughs> <laughs> we're not." <laughs> We're not having the the kick the kick leg death of the gorilla, ruining ruining my cool mad scientist John Carradine movie here. So no. Well, that is what we think about yep. Captive Wild Woman. If you have a different opinion, or if your opinion slightly misaligns with ours, mm. let us know. The yep. address you can write to is thebloodypit at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, over on our sister podcast, the Nashie Cast has come roaring back with a great interview by uh, with uh, with Bob Sargent, the Mm -hmm. man behind Videos, all those many years ago. Uh, And uh, the next time that Troy and I sit down to talk about the 1940s Universal horror films, we'll be advancing to the next movie on the list, which is the remake Mm -hmm. of Phantom of the Opera from 1943. Yes, people, that is the one uh, starring. Claude Rains. Yes, there's nothing short or cheap about this one. This was a big production. Yeah, this was glossy. This was in color. Yes. So Mm -hmm. this is going to be the first color movie we've covered as part of this thread of shows. It may be the only color movie we cover, possibly. You know, you may be right. I I can't. You may may be right. But yeah, they they definitely spent some money on uh, Mm -hmm. uh, on this one. And Claude Rains, Nelson Eddy, it's... uh, it's worth your time. It is seen by so many as kind of the lesser version, and I get it. The silent, sure. the silent film is 
iconic yeah, and brilliant. It is. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot to talk about yeah. with the 43 Phantom of the Opera, and that is what Troy and I will be talking about the next time we convene here. So, thank you for listening to us this time out, and I hope you will come back again. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will talk to you again soon. She said she wants to make up